Christian awoke the next morning to find the lingering stiffness from the giant's cage all but gone. He stood and stretched, filling his lungs with the crisp morning air. A few feet away, Hopeful was yet sleeping by the glowing embers of their fire, hugging his thin blankets in a way that reminded Christian of his young son, Joseph. I'll let him sleep, Christian thought. He needs it. While the time in the dungeon had been more of a test for Christian in the moment, Hopeful seemed more shaken by the battle with the giant. Christian thought back to his own first grave encounter, his combat with Apollyon, and was thankful that his friend had not had to face his first test alone. Hiking up a few dozen steps from their campsite, Christian stood at the overlook of the Delectable Mountains and drank in the majesty of the site once again. They'd spent hours in worship, faced out toward this majestic view, but the beauty struck him anew this morning, cloaked in mist, both powerful and serene. What Christian wouldn't give now for a cup of Steadfast's thick, aromatic coffee to sip while he watched the sunrise here. That was out of the question, of course, but a tasty breakfast enjoyed here at the Overlook might be just as good for both of them. Christian thought back to the wood strawberries growing along the path no more than three miles back, upon which they'd snacked while traveling the previous morning. If gathered in large enough quantity, these might be the base of an enjoyable meal to start this new day. Christian crept back into camp, quietly strapped on his sword, and began retracing his steps from the previous day. As he listened to the birds and the swish of the leaves in the morning breeze, they sounded to him like the voice of the great king, declaring his love and protection over pilgrims. He'd been walking about 15 minutes when he noticed a peculiar rock formation, just where a little well-trodden path came snaking in from the north, and a sudden sense of alarm gripped the pilgrim. He reached for his sword, but the sound of a dagger being drawn behind him and the prick of its point against his spine, just above the stiff fabric of his embroidered coat, froze him in his tracks. Well done, bandit, Christian said. I didn't even hear you approach. I'm as quick as I am stealthy, so don't even think of pulling that sword, the thief said, pushing the tip of his blade into the pilgrim's neck just enough to coax out a drop of blood, which Christian felt trickle down and pool against his collar. I've already admitted you got the drop on me. Now we've got you outnumbered too, said a thick-necked brawler of a man appearing from behind a bush, alongside another, as willowy as his companion was stout. The burly man wielded a club, which he swished back and forth menacingly as he approached. The other held only a cloth bag. He too advanced, although his sunken eyes projected fear, and he seemed to somehow shrink back more with every forward step. Let me guess, Christian said. Deep doubt and faint heart. The two stopped in their tracks. And I presume that's guilt skulking behind me like a coward. Faintheart took a staggering step back, glancing uneasily at his club-wielding brother, who also seemed thrown, uncertainty diluting his former swagger. Christian smirked. Oh, it, it frightens you that I know your names? I know more than that. I have heard tales of this place, Dead Man's Lane. I've heard of the ruthlessness of you three brothers, and your cowardice. He squeezed the hilt of his sword. Perhaps you should run along now. As it is, you've ventured up to the king's highway. This is not a safe place for you, as you must know. We will be gone just as soon as you hand over your valuables, Deep Doubt snarled. Yes, Gilt said behind him. Give us your treasure. 
Christian scoffed at this. I do have on my person, and in my person, greater treasure than you three hooligans could ever imagine, but because of your carnal, wicked bent, you would not recognize its value if it bashed you in the- No! In one fluid motion, Christian pulled his sword, spun, and knocked the dagger from the robber's hand. Before he could lay a blow upon him, though, deep doubt came charging up behind him and ran face first into a blow from the pilgrim's elbow. He grunted, choking on his own blood and teetering like a tree about to fall. Faintheart lunged as well, tentatively, and Christian simply rolled to the ground and watched him collide with deep doubt, both of them bouncing away like billiard balls. As he came back to his feet, Christian used his momentum to slam the crossguard of his sword into Gilt's nose, propelling him to the earth as well. While the three brothers collected themselves, Christian removed the shield from his back and buckled it down to his arm. Naturally, I, I meant to do that last bit uh, earlier, right after I said the thing about my treasure bashing you in the... Well, oh, never mind. Have you come and thieves had enough? The three had regrouped now and rushed the pilgrim again, this time as one. Christian ran to meet them, slamming his shield into Gilt's chin and dodging a blow from Deep Doubt's club. Pivoting on his heel, he rushed at Faintheart, wrapping his left arm around the man's concave chest and lifting him off his feet. Three steps later, he rammed the villain into the wide trunk of a tree. Immediately, the pilgrim turned and swung his sword, deflecting a blow from Deep Doubt's club and then blasting him to the ground with a savage, stomping kick. You three presumptuous fools have not caught this pilgrim asleep or wandering the woods unarmed. Take a moment to count the cost and cut your losses, or face death at my blade. The three of them rose again, slower this time. They silently conferred, seemingly considering this out. Then Deep Doubt scooped up a heavy rock and heaved it at the pilgrim, catching him in the helmet just above his eyes. Christian reeled, and that's when Faintheart came rushing in from the side, tackling Christian around the legs and bringing him down. Christian tried to stand, but a boot to the head spun his helmet, covering his eyes. Another kick to his side put him flat on his back. Then he felt hands yanking up on his breastplate, and more hands reaching in beneath it, searching for his pockets. Then five cold fingers, directly upon his heart, and a gripping fear, far colder than ice, filled his chest. Out of the corner of one eye, he could see Deep Doubt's massive legs planted beside him. For a moment, Christian was inclined to play possum and let them take what they would and leave him be. Then he remembered the frantic day he'd spent without his scroll, and the fear melted away. Reaching out to where his sword had fallen, he grasped the hilt and swung it toward the burly man's calf, intending to hamstring him, but the blade came up harder yet and severed Deep Doubt's leg below the knee. Rolling to his feet, Christian righted his helmet and with a wide swing of his shield dealt a crushing blow to Gilt's cheekbone, connecting so hard that the bandit's head and feet switched places for a moment before gravity jerked him ruthlessly back to the earth with a crunch. Deep Doubt was cursing and grunting as he tied off his left thigh. Only Faint Heart stood among his brothers now, a stiletto blade clenched in his thin, veiny fist. He trembled, staring at Christian like a heart before the hunter. Christian looked from the thief's thin blade to his own blood-streaked sword. Mine's bigger, he said, and I have won the day. Go back over the wall to your damned land and lug this trash 
with you. Faintheart dropped the weapon and began to draw in a deep breath. Christian strode quickly to him and pushed the edge of his blade against his enemy's sunken cheek. I see you preparing to call for your master, but would you be able to do so without your tongue? Faintheart shook his head stiffly and set about helping deep doubt to his remaining foot. Guilt rose on his own, but staggered in a crooked line as the three strong-armed thieves slowly made their way back toward Beelzebub's land. When they'd gone, Christian fell to his knees and thanked the king for his love and protection. High and Silver and Gut Check Media presents The Pilgrim's Progress. From this world to that which is to come. John Bunyan's timeless Christian allegory, as told by Zachary Bartles. Chapter 20, A Glass, Darkly. When Christian returned to the campsite, Hopeful took one look at him and dropped the firewood in his arms, asking, what on earth happened to you? Christian smiled wryly and said, I went to get some berries. He sat heavily on a log and warmed his hands on the fire. Well, where are they? Christian looked down at his empty hands and laughed. (laughs) I guess the task was too much for me. But it looks like you've got some breakfast on the fire. He pointed at the small pot hanging from a trivet, boiling. Cow parsley and wild onions, Hopeful said. It's no feast, but we'd have given anything for such a meal a day ago. Right you are, brother. And I thank you for preparing this meal, and our king for causing it to grow. They ate slowly, savoring what little nutrition there was to be gleaned, and both men were still hungry when the pot was empty, a hollow ache yet unsated from their days in the dungeon despair. Still, after dousing the fire and packing up their few belongings, they set off toward the delectable mountains with a spring in their step. They walked quietly for some time, drinking in the beauty of the mountains ahead, Then Hopeful broke the silence. So are you going to tell me what really happened this morning, or leave me to imagine it? Christian considered this for a moment. If you must know, I'll tell you, but let me begin by telling you a story. I'd rather hear one of your songs than one of your stories. Well, I haven't had time to set this one to music yet, but it's a tale that was told me by a great teacher in the study of the Palace Beautiful. It's about a pilgrim named Little Faith of the town Sincere, a good man, but not so stout-hearted. The thing was this. One night, Little Faith bedded down, all alone, right where a winding road comes in from Broadway Gate to merge onto the narrow way on the left-hand side. The road is called Dead Man's Lane, both because of a rock formation there, which looks like a skull and crossbones, and because of the many murders that have been committed at this place. A rocky skull, Hopeful said. Did this little faith not see such a glaring omen? No, just as you and I did not notice when we passed it yesterday. Only this morning, as I walked back toward the city of destruction, was it clear to me. But back to little faith. While he slept, the poor pilgrim was set upon by three sturdy rogues, faint heart, deep doubt, and guilt. These three brothers threatened poor little faith, beat him, and made off with one of his purses, containing most of his spending money. What of his scroll? Hopeful asked. His scroll they did not see, 
Christian said, nor his second purse, which contained his jewels, although this was by no cunning of his own. Rather, by God's good providence, the pilgrim had landed upon these things when he fell, and, thinking they might have heard one Mr. Great Grace coming their way, the thieves fled back to their lair beyond the wall. Well, he must have been thankful for that mercy. You'd think so, said Christian, for in addition to his scroll and his jewels, he had a little odd money left as well, but he was not wise about how he spent it, and before long, little faith was reduced to begging until his journey's end. Still, though, Hopeful said, it must have been a continual comfort to him that they missed his jewels and his certificate. Uh, it might have been, had he used them as he should, but because of his great dismay at losing his purse, he hid them away and practically forgot about them. And the few times he sought their comfort, they only reminded him of his loss, and these bitter thoughts would swallow up all. Hopeful shook his head. Poor heart. That's a lot of grief to bear. For certain, as it would be for any of us, had we been robbed and wounded in such a frightful place in the dead of night. It's a wonder he did not die with grief, and for the rest of the way he issued nothing but doleful and bitter complaints, telling anyone he encountered all about his troubles and only about his troubles, where he was robbed and how and by whom, showing them his scars and recounting his wounds. Yet he was not reduced to selling some of his jewels? Selling his jewels? Christian gaped for a moment before grabbing Hopeful's head and pulling it near to examine his scalp. What are you doing? Hopeful complained, pulling away. I was just looking to see if some of your shell was still on your head, he laughed. Sell his jewels? For what could he pawn them? Or to whom could he sell them? For if he did, he would have been turned away at the celestial gate, which is worse than the villainy of ten thousand thieves. Why so contrary, brother? I seem to remember that Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of red stew, and that birthright was his greatest jewel. If he could do it, why couldn't Little Faith? You are right about Esau, and many others besides who have excluded themselves from the heavenly inheritance. But there is a world of difference between these two men. Esau's belly was his god. Not so with Little Faith. Esau was dragged about by his carnal desire for a savory dish, whether of the stew variety or the Hittite woman variety, and he saw no further than the satisfying of those lusts. Not so with our pilgrim. Yes, Little Faith feared he would die at the hands of these three brigands, but Esau declared himself at the point of death simply because he was hungry after a strenuous hunt, posing the foolish question, what good will this birthright do me in the grave? You did not hear the full story, but you should have known the difference between Esau and Little Faith in this. It was Little Faith's lot to have but a little faith, and yet that little faith kept him from trading his birthright and led him to prize his jewels even if he did not sufficiently use them. On the other hand, I defy you to show me in the scriptures where Esau had any faith at all. If he did, he would not have sold his soul. Those whose minds are set upon their lusts will have them, whatever the cost. Little Faith, on the other hand, could never have made such a foolish trade. Will a man give a penny to fill his belly with hay? I think not, and that is your mistake. Hopeful studied one foot and then the other as he walked. I acknowledge it. Still, your severe rebuke almost makes me angry. Severe? Why, I only compared you to some of the... 
brisker sort of birds who will run to and fro in untrodden paths with the shell upon their heads. But get over that and consider the real topic of discussion, and all will be well between us. Hopeful scowled. I still think I'm right. If these three fellows were not, at their core, a company of cowards, why would they turn tail and run at the noise of someone coming up the road? It seems to me that Little Faith ought to have strengthened his heart, plucked up his courage, and put up a fight. Christian thought for a moment and said, You are correct that there is cowardice at the heart of these thieves, but in the time of trial it is hard to see. And Little Faith himself had no great heart to speak of. You asked where I was this morning. I was fighting these three brothers myself. And if it had been you whom these cunning outlaws had surrounded so suddenly, I believe you would have a different perspective. When the enemy is out of sight, it's easy enough to boast about our own courage and prowess, but see them closing in on you and you may have second thoughts. Something you should know about these rogues, guilt, faint heart, and deep doubt. They choose their victims at will and keep most of their spoil, but they are employed by another the lord of the bottomless pit and the king of the dark domain beyond the wall, who has been known to come to their aid if they call for him. When I was engaged, as this little faith was, I found it a terrible thing. I determined as a Christian to resist, but they proved themselves worthy adversaries, and I knew that they might call for their master at any moment. Even outfitted as I am with this holy armor, I nearly despaired of hope. No man can tell you what he will do in combat until he has tasted the battle himself. But you said they ran away when they thought this Mr. Great Grace was in the way. True, they have often fled, both they and their master, when Great Grace appears, for he is our king's champion. But there is a great contrast to be seen between Great Grace and Little Faith, or between Great Grace and you or me. All a king's subjects are not his champions, hopeful. Eleazar mowed down the Philistines until the sword froze in his hand. Do you suppose a little child could have done the same thing? And yet Jesus called a little child to sit on his knee as an example of the type of faith we must have. Some are strong, some are weak, some have great faith, some have little. This little faith was one of the weak. And, therefore, he went to the wall. I wish it had been great grace they stumbled upon that day, Hopeful said. If it had been, he might have had his hands full. Though great grace is mighty and skilled with his weapons, these three, deep doubt, faint heart, and guilt, can get within a man and bring him down, and then he might find himself at their mercy, of which they have none. The teacher also told me quite a few tales of great grace. To look at his face is to see the many scars of battle, and scars are proof that a man has been opened and bled. Great Grace will confess that he once even despaired of life when he faced these foes. And it was these same foes who made King David groan and mourn and roar, and mighty Peter, the prince of the apostles, though he would draw his sword and stare down the mob, was laid low by a servant girl when these three enemies had their way with him. But that's just it, Hopeful said. Had Peter known them for what they were, he could have... You're not listening, Hopeful. If their master is about, he will come to their aid. 
Let footmen like us never desire to meet with such enemies, or boast that we would have done better when we hear that others have met their match. And above all, let us never be tickled with thoughts of our own strength and courage. That was Peter's downfall, and David's, and it will be ours as well if we follow in their footsteps. How then should we respond? Hopeful asked. And how can we prepare ourselves when we hear of such violent crimes committed on the king's highway? Two things become a pilgrim in such cases, Christian said. First, we must be sure to take a shield with us. If we lack that, our enemies fear us not at all. Remember, the apostle tells us, above all, take up the shield of faith. And secondly, we should travel in convoy. There are only two of us, Hopeful observed. I'd hardly call that a convoy. You are right that we would do better to find a band of pilgrims with whom we might travel more securely, but I mean that we should ask the king himself to go with us. When David was in the valley of the shadow of death, the thought of our God going with him caused him to rejoice. And don't forget the great Moses, who would rather die where he stood than take one step without his God. My brother, if he will go along with us, and he will, we need not be afraid of 10,000 enemy soldiers. But without him, even the greatest warriors fall. Yes, I have faced down Apollyon, and others as well, and I remain, by God's grace, alive. But I cannot boast of my heroism, and I pray that I should meet with no more such adversaries, though I fear that we are still not beyond all danger. They walked again, in silence, until late afternoon, when they arrived at the Delectable Mountains. As they climbed, they passed through gardens and orchards, vineyards and fountains from which they drank, finding the water to be as cold and refreshing as that from the river of life. Christian, Hopeful said, I still feel the the grime and hopelessness of the giant's dungeon clinging to my outer person. Do you think it would be proper for us to, to bathe here in this fountain? I was just thinking the same thing, Christian said, stripping off his armor and kicking off his boots. These mountains belong to the king of this land, and I am sure that it will be safe to take a moment to let down our guard and be cleansed of any dust or grit from Beelzebub's land. When they'd finished washing, they dried in the sun, got dressed, and once again followed the way up the mountain. As they passed through still more vineyards, they ate the heavenly fruit and found it to be delicious and satisfying. Before they knew it, they had reached the highest ridge, along which they saw nothing but lush green grass and many sheep happily grazing. From here, they could see the other mountaintops as well, equally fertile. As they walked along the ridge, they came upon three shepherds standing by the roadside. Taking hold of the opportunity to rest, as well as learn something of this place, they approached these men, leaned upon their staffs, and asked them, Sirs, whose sheep are these? The youngest of the shepherds, who still looked to be older than Christian and Hopeful put together, answered, This is Emmanuel's land, and these are Emmanuel's sheep. They are here because they know his voice when he calls to them, and they know he will lead them into green pastures and beside still waters, and will protect them from wolves, even with his very life. And we, his under-shepherds, are called to emulate him. Is this the way to the celestial city? Hopeful asked. Yes, you are just in the way. How much further? Christian asked. The oldest of the shepherds, his eyes as white as his beard, said, Too far for any but those who shall arrive there. 
I see. Is the way dangerous? It is safe for those for whom it is safe, but transgressors shall fall therein. Hopeful caught Christian's eye for a moment and half shrugged. He then asked, Is there any relief here for tired pilgrims? Of course, said the other shepherd. His robe was as brightly colored as Joseph's and his skin as dark as the bark of an oak tree. The Lord of these mountains has charged us to always entertain strangers. He spread out his hands and said, The good of this place is before you, and your perseverance will be rewarded. For few who begin to walk this holy road ever show their face on these mountains. What are your names, sirs? Christian asked. I am Knowledge, said the man in the colorful robe. This is Sober, and the patriarch of our order is called Experience. Just then a youth came running up, laughing, a shepherd's staff in his hand and a playful lamb on his tail. And this, the old man Experience said, is sincere. He reached out both his hands to the pilgrims, and they each took one. These shepherds then brought them into a wide tent where they fed them fresh bread, cheese, and sweet pastries. And now, said Knowledge, I invite you to stay a while and become acquainted with us. It is nearly dark now, and this is a safe and comforting place to sleep, here among experiences many cushions. <laughs> with only a brief look between them, both pilgrims agreed to stay till the morning. They stayed up well into the night as each of the four shepherds came in turn to converse with them between shifts of keeping watch and their own sleep. Finally, Christian and Hopeful retired to the corner of the tent where there was indeed an enormous collection of cushions and pillows. After praying together and bidding each other good night, the two pilgrims drifted off into the deepest sleep they'd known in weeks. They awakened the next morning to the smell of strong coffee, which knowledge offered to them mixed with fresh sheep's milk. The taste was heavenly to both pilgrims and filled them with the energy to set out once more. Would you mind if we walked with you for a time? Knowledge asked. We would love it, Hopeful answered. Leaving Sincere to watch the flocks, the other three shepherds accompanied the pilgrims along the mountaintop road. As they walked, Christian and Hopeful were nearly overwhelmed by the beauty on every side. When they'd walked perhaps half a mile, Knowledge stopped in his tracks, looked at his fellow shepherds, and said, Well, shall we show these pilgrims some wonders? The other two agreed, as did Christian and Hopeful, and a short time later they found themselves following these three mysterious men up a hill called Error. As they reached the top, the pilgrims drew back from the farthest side, seeing how incredibly high and steep it was. Yes, be careful, said Sober, but look down to the bottom and tell me what you see. Reaching over and grabbing his brother's sleeve, Hopeful peered carefully over the edge. Oh, I see several men, he said. Or they were once men. Now they are but bones, decaying clothing, and, and precious metals. Clearly they fell from this peak and were dashed to pieces. What is the meaning of this? Christian asked, unable to tear his eyes from this terrible sight. Have you ever heard of those who hearkened to the teaching of Hymenaeus and Philetus regarding the resurrection of the dead? They answered, yes. yes. These are the shattered people you see below, Knowledge explained. 
They remain unburied to this day as an example to others who would come near the brink of this hill. Remember always what you have seen here. I will never forget, Christian said. Nor I, said Hopeful. Good. Now, follow me. There are more wonders to show you. As they descended, Christian said to Knowledge, You remind me, sir, of the interpreter, whose house I visited between the wicket gate and the place of deliverance. Knowledge smiled. Ah, you speak of my brother, who once lived with us in these mountains until he was called to minister near the head of the road, rather than to those approaching its end. When they reached the bottom of the hill, they began to ascend an even higher peak, the name of this one being Caution. When they'd climbed about halfway to the top, Sober pointed out toward a distant graveyard and told the pilgrims to look. Christian shielded his eyes against the sun and squinted. I see some movement among the tombs, he said, but I cannot tell who it is or what they are doing. Here. Knowledge held a spyglass out to them. Christian received the instrument and inspected it. I've never used one of these before. How's it done? I have, Hopeful said, snatching it up to his eye and carefully adjusting the focus. I see men walking among the tombs all right, but they continually stumble and fall. He handed it to Christian, who, mimicking his fellow pilgrim, looked through the smaller lens and said, They seem to be trying to get out from among the graves, but they cannot. Are they blind? They are, said Experience. Tell me, did you notice some miles back a stile that went over the wall on the left-hand side just off the way? Um, yeah, we, we saw it, Christian said. From that place, a path leads directly to Doubting Castle, which is kept by the giant Despair, And these men, he pointed out toward the tombs, who came once on pilgrimage, as you do now, thought the narrow way too rough and went over that stile into Bypass Meadow, and there they were taken by the giant and cast into Doubting Dungeon. And when that wicked monster grew tired of them, he put out their eyes and cast them among the tombs, where they wander to this day. For it is written, Those who wander out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. Christian and Hopeful dried their eyes and said nothing to the shepherds about their own experience with the giant. As they descended the hill a different way, Sober brought them to a door in the mountain itself. Open it, he said, and look inside. Christian did as the shepherd instructed and found that it was dark and smoky within. A deep, rumbling noise, like a great fire, the scent of brimstone, and the cries of tormented souls all came up from the depths. What is this place? Hopeful asked. It is a byway to hell, Knowledge said, for hypocrites, namely those who sell their birthright as Esau, or their master as Judas. And, said Experience, for those who blaspheme the gospel with Alexander, or conspire with Sapphira. Hopeful stared into the terrifying void, and yet each of those walked this road as a pilgrim. Yes, and for a very long way, some of them even farther than these mountains, before they were miserably cast out. 
Hopeful looked at his fellow pilgrim with bloodshot eyes and said, You are right indeed, Christian. I should not have presumed how I would fare in Little Faith's shoes, nor should I long for, for glory in battle against the enemies pressing in, for stronger men than I have fallen and nearer the end than I am now. It is a difficult lesson, Christian agreed. I too am still learning it. And, and you have learned it without falling yourself. I admire you for that. And sorry I said the thing about the, the shell on your head. It wasn't even that funny. Hopeful laughed. I, I think I've removed the last of it today. He looked up to the sun climbing in the sky and said, If we are leaving this place today, we should do it soon. Aye, said Christian. We've imposed on these good men long enough. The shepherds accompanied them up to the narrow way, and walked with them to the end of the mountain ridge where they found Sincere watching the flocks. Before you leave these mountains, Sober said, there is one more thing you must see. He pointed out to the distance. From this vantage, the gates of the celestial city are visible. The two pilgrims squinted toward the shining light, which was now far closer and much larger to their eyes than it had been before. Perhaps this will help, Sober said, offering them a small pane of amber-tinted glass in an ornate gold frame. Looking through it, the overwhelming light of the place was dimmed just enough that Christian could make out a pair of tall towers, which he assumed flanked the entrance. The gate itself, though, was too distant to truly see. He handed the device to Hopeful, who, after peering through it for a moment, asked, Sir, may I borrow your spyglass again? Of course, Knowledge said, handing it over. Hopeful instructed his companion to hold the tinted glass up before him, and, lining up the spyglass with it, he suddenly gasped. Did you see the gate? Christian asked. I, th I think I did. I confess I'm so rattled by what we saw behind that door. My hands are, are shaking with fear and trembling. I, I saw it for only a brief moment. Here, you try. They switched places, and Christian adjusted the focus until he too gasped and jerked the instrument down from his eye. I saw something like a gate, he said, and I saw some of the glory of that place. I cannot wait to reach it. He looked up at Hopeful. We have to go. Handing the spyglass back to the shepherd, he made to head out. Yes, this is where we must part ways, Knowledge said, but we do not leave you empty-handed. Reaching beneath his colorful robe, he withdrew a rolled document which he handed to Christian. A map, he said, of the remainder of the way. Remember the door in the mountain, and see that you are not yourselves led astray so close to the end. Some food for your journey, Experience said handing them a sack full of bread. And with it, I offer this word of warning. He placed a hand on each of the pilgrim's heads and solemnly uttered the words, Beware the flatterer. As one who is watchful and vigilant, Sober said, I implore you both not to sleep upon the enchanted ground. The importance of this cannot be overstated. Understood, Hopeful said. Looking down at the framed glass in his hands, he chuckled and held it out to Sincere. I nearly walked off with your mystical tool. You can keep it, the young man said with a hearty smile. And Godspeed to you. 
There was once again silence between Hopeful and Christian as they descended the mountains, but this silence was born not of conflict, but of awe. Both men would have been content to simply meditate on what they'd just seen for the rest of the day, but a little below these mountains they happened upon a very brisk lad coming up the narrow way from a crooked little lane on the left. Hello, young man, Christian said. Where are you coming from on this lovely day? The young man beamed and answered, Sir, I was born in the country of conceit, which lies at my back. That's where I'm coming from, and the celestial city is where I'm going. Obviously. But how do you plan to enter at the gate? You know, as other good people do. Hopeful shot Christian a look and asked the young man, Do you have anything to show at the gate that it should be opened to you? Well, I know my lord's will. I've lived a good life so far. I pay every man what I owe him. I pray and fast. I tithe and give alms. And of course, I've left my own country behind for the one to which I'm headed. I should think that would do the trick. But you did not come in at the wicked gate, Christian said. Rather via some crooked lane. Young man, I fear that whatever you may think of yourself, when the reckoning day shall come, you will be found a thief and a robber and barred from entering the city. The young man narrowed his eyes. What's your name? I am Christian, and this is my friend and brother, Hopeful. And you? They call me Ignorance, and save the jokes and barbs, I've heard them all, it's just a name. And you may think that you know me by it, but you don't. In fact, you don't know me at all. So, as utter strangers to me, be content to follow the religion of your country, and now follow the religion of mine. And since you seem to come from a land that is even more distant from the holy city than I do, I find it utterly laughable that you would attempt to school me on it. How could you even know the way to this distant place, let alone exactly who will gain entry and how? Can you not be content to simply walk this pleasant green lane and make pleasant, polite conversation? Before Christian could answer, the man fell a few paces back to distance himself from the pilgrims, muttering all the while. In a low voice, Hopeful said, This man is wise in his own conceit, but ignorant of the things of God. There is more hope for a fool than for him. Shall we attempt to talk more with him now, or leave him to think of what we've already said? I say we leave the seed of truth planted and see if God might cause it to grow into understanding. Agreed. Hopeful said. We can speak with him again tomorrow. So they went on, and ignorance followed. The two of them stopped for an early evening meal from the food the shepherds had given them. They determined to give some to ignorance should he join them, but he remained quite a ways behind. After dinner, they resumed the way and soon found themselves at a fork in the road. Christian looked down at his feet, right where the road split. Well, this is new. I assume said Hopeful, that we should take the road to the right, as the other would bring us closer to Beelzebub's land. Ah, but the true way has several times brought us close to the wall between the two realms. True, Hopeful conceded. Perhaps we should just try one and see what it looks like. If it seems to be the wrong way, we can turn back. And if it proves deadly... Just then, they were overtaken by a tall, thin man in a long, sparkling coat, which reflected the light of the sun behind them, practically blinding them with it. The man followed the road to the left, about twenty feet, before turning back and calling, 
If you two be pilgrims, you would do best to follow me. Straining to make out the man's features against the glaring light, Christian said to Hopeful, Well, I suppose that's our answer. Let us follow the Shining One. You have chosen wisely, the man said, and such wisdom will be rewarded richly. But as they followed him along the path, it turned by degrees until the celestial city was at their back and the setting sun before them, further blinding them. Christian, Hopeful whispered, I think we may have made a mistake in following this man. We are headed the wrong way. I agree, he said, and called out, Sir, why are we headed back toward the land of destruction? The man stopped and whirled toward them, hurling a large net which hit the two pilgrims with such force as to knock them to the ground. They began to thrash about, trying to free themselves, but only getting more and more hopelessly entangled. The man approached them, laughing as he shrugged off the sparkling <laughs> garment. Without it, the pilgrims could see him clearly. A fearful creature, indeed. His coarse hide clung tightly to his bones and sinews, especially upon his ghoulishly elongated limbs. Long, silky hair cascaded down his shoulders, framing a hideous face, yellow eyes and wicked fangs, and between them, where his nose should be, only a puckered cavity of tarish flesh. Working quickly, the monster pulled the net taut and tied it with a long black rope, which he then tossed up over a tree limb some twenty feet in the air. With great pains, he then began to raise the confined pilgrims off the ground. When they were only a few feet shy of the pivot, he tied the rope to another nearby tree trunk. He then searched through his discarded garment and came out with a small pyrotechnic flare, which he embedded in the ground with a thin rod. He then produced a flint with which he lit the touch paper and quickly backed away as the rocket shot up into the sky and exploded into a massive red starburst. The creature sat down on the earth, his back to them, and looked out toward the wall dividing the land, just visible in the distance. <laughs> My lord Apollyon is on his way, he said without looking back at the pilgrims. You've cost him much suffering, and he is eager to see you again. In the distance, Christian saw a plume of black smoke growing closer by the minute. Thanks for listening. To support this program and for additional content and perks, visit patreon.com slash pilgrimsprogress and or take two minutes to leave an honest review wherever you get your podcasts. The Pilgrim's Progress, From This World to That Which Is to Come, adapted by Zachary Bartles from John Bunyan's classic manuscript. This text, copyright 2022, Zachary Bartles. This recording, copyright 2023, High and Silver, All Rights Reserved. Produced by Brad Atchison and Zachary Bartles. Additional sound effects and music licensed from Pond5.com and Audio Micro. For more engaging audio fiction, visit www.zacharybartles.com audio. and silver. Got to 